Influencers seize opportunity when others shrink from it. Alan Patrikoff has done that time and time again for decades. Over 50 years ago, the venture capital pioneer won big on an early investment in New York Magazine. He later made even larger bets on Apple and AOL before either company was a household name. He also founded private equity giant Apex Partners, which has raised funds to the tune of $50 billion and open offices around the world. And recently, he's helped launch digital successes like Venmo. Alan is here to tell us where the economy is going next and which companies will thrive in it. Hello, I'm Andy Serwer. Welcome to Influencers and welcome to Alan Patrikoff, founder and managing director of Graycroft Partners. Alan, great to see you. Thanks for having me. So, um, I want to talk to you about the venture business, of course. You are one of the original venture uh, pioneers, I guess, in New York City, certainly. And uh, ask you how the business has changed. Give me sort of an update of where things stand right now. Well, I think the major thing is when I got in the business, it wasn't even called the venture capital business. It wasn't legal for institutions to invest because they had, the ERISA hadn't passed and hadn't, didn't have the rules for how you do private investing. And uh, rather than being inundated with deals that are, you know, on an average week we may get in New York, I'd say maybe 100 new deals a week. Uh, in California, we probably get half that many, another 50. I mean, you think of that, it's, it's a staggering number. In, in, in the early days, in 1970, when I started Alan Patrickoff Associates, uh, there were, you know, two deals a week if we were lucky, or maybe one, or we had to go calling on people and knocking on doors to convince someone that they ought to raise money privately. It's so competitive, though, Alan, and there's so many people in the business. How do you differentiate Graycroft? What's your secret? Well, I think that, you know, I, to a certain extent, my having been in this business a long time does give a little bit of a, I don't want to say halo, but, it, you know, it, it, we're not newcomers. Uh, so you have expertise that uh, others, plus, others don't have. Yeah, plus I've put together with uh, co-founders of two young people that I brought in when I started in 2006, when I restarted a new business. And uh, we have developed a team of people both here in L.A. who have, on their own, in their own right, have develop very strong reputations and uh, we're, uh, I, I, you know, uh, immodestly I will say we're probably one of the top firms today in the venture business in New York and Los Angeles. We, I, when I went, I deliberately avoided San Francisco because I knew if we went to San Francisco, uh, we're going to be, you know, number 50 or number 100 and it would be very hard to develop an identity in, in that part of the, uh, of the country. Of, California. In Los Angeles, we really almost are a pioneer in starting venture there in uh, 2006. So you are thinking about differentiating the firm that way? Yeah, I mean, we've got, you've got to do something different. And we, we are also, we have some very interesting rules. I don't necessarily need to go into them, but that distinguish us is that we are focused on being a pure venture capital firm. I started Apex, Alan Patrickoff Associates, in 1970 with $2 million. And we grew over the years, as uh, you know, it's almost now Apex is 50 billion under management. Uh, but as we grew, 
we morphed from venture capital into private equity. I mean, it's inevitable when you have a fund of $10 billion, you can't do one $2 million investment. Graycroft distinguishes itself as being a, by definition, we keeping the size of the fund, we're very disciplined, and that also disciplines you in the size of the initial investments you make, and you're also, it disciplines you in your expectations. When we started Graycroft, we had almost in our, in our credo that we did not expect to sell any of our companies uh, in an IPO, because the IPO market has been dead for the last, we were prescient, yeah. mm -hmm. because after 13 years, we haven't sold one of our companies in an initial public offering. We've sold a lot of our companies to public companies, but we haven't gone IPO. All of our sales have been in private transactions. But wait, so that just doesn't work for you guys right now? I mean, because there are well, IPOs. Right but, now, yeah. no, I'm saying we finally, yeah. no, I just was being realistic in expectations mm -hmm. because if you, if you don't expect irrational exuberance to take you out right. at crazy prices, you better invest at a, at a realistic valuation level going in, raise the, a realistic amount of money that you can utilize as a company, and be able to make a venture return at you know, a $100 million sale or $200 million sale, not requiring I see. being a unicorn to make a return. Right, right, right. Along the way, Alan, you've invested in Apple, AOL, Huffington Post, Venmo. What did you see in those companies and what do you look for? Well, in all these companies, you're looking for a, a, you know, an all-star cast of people, not just an entrepreneur, but we found that the best criteria is an entrepreneur who started a company or was running a company or was built a reputation in a business and then decided to do something else tangential. And the key ingredient was that several of the people he worked with followed he or she into the next activity because they were voting with their career, they're voting with their feet, whereas we're voting with money, which is you know, somewhat still an inanimate uh, commodity. So it, it tells you a lot if you know, someone picks up and from you know, the New York Times and goes and starts a whole new publication. You know, we, we were the founders, major shareholders in Axios, the newsletter, and it was made up of the team that left together from Politico. Right. And that has a lot of credential as opposed to someone walking in off the street and uh, as a lone wolf. Not everything worked out, I'm sure. What did you learn from your failures? Uh, we have too many failures, unfortunately. That's the nature of the business. Uh, it's always people. You can, you can change, if you have a, the right person running something, they, you've heard the expression pivot. They can pivot, they can improvise, they can do a lot of things that can deal with the product. If you have a product without a, a leader, without that charisma at the top, without a founder who's got that, is driven, uh, it, it's a lot harder to, to, to move around. And, you know, truthfully, I personally prefer that we can be in companies where the founder is the person you stick with and you build around, as opposed to someone who comes in after the fact and when you have to change founders or you're backing a deal where the person isn't necessarily the founder but has taken over from something else before. That, that founder uh, passion is, is a hard thing to replace.
So that's almost, or it's as important as the company and the core strategy itself? I think it's more important. More important. The, the, people, are the, the people are the key. Um, you're interested in digital media. You have been interested in digital media. Yeah. Still interested? Seems like the bloom's off the rose. Yeah, I guess there are a lot of people who would agree with you. Uh, uh, I, I, I feel like I'm uh, pushing a string uphill sometimes in my own office. Uh, uh, we are, uh, we've moved uh, a lot away from the media advertising-based companies. Uh, Why is it not so any good anymore? Well, I, one major reason is Facebook and Google kind of have taken over the whole uh, uh, ad industry. Uh, their share of market is, is crazy. I mean, between uh, Google, Facebook, and, and you can throw in Yahoo now, uh, Yahoo, excuse me, not Yahoo, <laughs> we don't say Yahoo, uh, Amazon, right. which also is now selling ads. It's hard to believe Amazon was more than double last year in their advertising. They did a four and a half for $5 billion, and they expect to double again this year. And so between the three of them, they have th uh, two thirds of the advertising, online advertising. And if you take out uh, 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 Amazon, you're taking a little bit out, certainly much more than 50% for the other two. And if you take their uh, the share of Google's uh, social interaction between their the sites they own, if you take the percentage that that uh, Google has uh, uh, from YouTube and uh, what percentage of search they have, it's 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 astronomical. And uh, so it's discouraged people that have anything that's an ad-based business, uh, and it you know hurts ad technology. Uh, the ad tech was a big part of our early portfolio. We had a company called Buddy Media. We sold to Facebook, excuse me, I'm slipping today with the Salesforce. Right. Too many names. It sold to, to Salesforce uh, maybe six, seven, eight years ago uh, and did extremely well. Uh, that you couldn't have a Buddy Media probably emerge today. You wouldn't get that kind of valuation today. It's a much tougher business to be in. But, but there are, like Axios, Axios is knocking it off the chart. Uh, subscription businesses are It's okay? not subscription yet. It's all sponsorship-based, mm -hmm. but they're offering something unique. Mm -hmm. they've, they've also created a whole bunch of verticals, as you probably know, yeah. and not just, not just in politics, but in finance and health and, and uh, security. Uh, and we've also gone into the podcast business. I'm very very high on the podcast business. Uh, we have a company called Wondery out in Los Angeles, uh, which has at least two of the hottest number one podcasts, Dirty John and Dr. Death. Wow. And, uh, our very interesting narrative uh, serial uh, uh, programs and it's more content. We're like a little bit like another company that Spotify just bought called Gimlet. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I think the two of us are probably the leading content people, and I would venture to say that a year ago, Gimlet may have been number one. I, I tend to think that we may be hot on their back and maybe number one in terms of the success of some of our recent programming. Seems like you might think that Facebook and Google have become a little bit too powerful. I would agree with that. Uh, you know, someone, some people might even call them quasi-monopolies. Uh, uh, you know, our definition of, of what's a monopoly and what's anti-competitive uh, maybe has to change from what it was in the early 1900s when we, you know, passed the original acts uh, 
to protect businesses against competition, against monopolies. What do you think about the streaming business, Alan? I mean, Apple just announced a whole endeavor. You've got Disney getting into it. Um, Time Warner, part of AT&T. NBC, part of Comcast. There seems to be a rush into that. Well, having a son who makes movies and uh, it lives in Los Angeles and is a successful independent producer, there's an awful lot more places that he can sell his content. But uh, aside from that plug personally, but mm. uh, you know, content is still king. Uh, interestingly, uh, going back to, to Wondery and, and Dr. Death, uh, it was bought by Bravo and Bravo used it, uh, made a series out of, uh, out of uh, Dirty John. Is there peak content, too much content? I mean, there's certainly a lot of choices out there for consumers. Yeah, it's, to me, frankly, I find it overwhelming. I have so yeah. much on my to-do list or right. my stuff that I want to look, I want to watch. I just, there, is, there aren't enough hours in the day. I can stay up just so late at night to, between watching political shows and watching what I'm missing on, uh, on uh, Netflix or whatever. I'm watching a show right now called Call My Agent, which is a kind of a, a French, it's a French program in subtitles but it's all about, uh, it's, you keep thinking of CAA or WME as you're watching it, it's a, but it's French version. But it's hard to keep up. I mean, there's just yeah. so much stuff. Oh, God. I, I, right. I, I, you know, you get hooked on a series, and everyone you meet will tell you, you've got to watch this particular right. series. Right. Besides digital media, are there other areas that you're keen on right now? Yeah, well, uh, I think that the uh, software will always be with us. And we're always looking for interesting software companies. We're looking for database companies, uh, anything that has a proprietary position. Uh, you know, I always keep reminding myself of Standard & Poor and Moody's where you had to have Standard & Poor every single year. You couldn't be in the financial business without it. Well, that's a nice thing to have a subscription-based business and build, building data all the time. We have a company called App Annie, which is the I would say the modern day version of what Standard Poor was, they are the, the authority or the access for all information about apps. So if you are, have an app, you want to know what you're doing, how well you're doing, who's doing what to whom, what your competitors are doing, you have to subscribe to App Annie. I mean, there are probably others, but we tend to think that we're the best and the biggest. Uh, and uh, that's a, a very comfortable. We're also very active in the direct-to-consumer area. Mm -hmm. We've invested in about, God, I don't know, I, I can name them, though. We're in, uh, we're in Hubble, which deals with contact lenses you can buy online. We're in a company called Candid, where you can get your teeth aligned. Uh, it's a competitor with uh, uh, Visalign and doing very well. By the way, Candid is uh, uh, terrific. The Real Real, which is hot as can be, which is for consignment of luxury goods online, direct to consumer. Uh, we have a company called Dirty Lemon, which makes drinks. Uh, Coca-Cola just made an investment in the company. Uh, you got a drink, it's really very interesting. Everybody's, everybody's excited about Dirty Lemon. And we have a company called Lucy, which t reduces sm smoking sensation. And Billy, which is razor shaving, women's shavers. So lots of stuff is happening online and right. in consumer selling. What about IPOs? I mean, the companies are staying private. You, you talked about this a little bit, but they're staying private so long, and now they're finally going out, the Lyfts and the Ubers, et cetera. Is it not such a great place for investors? 
the IPL market itself? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I'm. I, I I would exercise caution. I mean, the there is a to, to quote Alan Greenspan from 1996. There's a little bit of irrational exuberance uh, because all the companies that not most of the companies that are going public right at this moment in time are consumer names. So everybody knows Lyft. They know Uber. They know they know WeWork. They know Airbnb. They own Slack. So there are a lot of well-known names, and that gets the public interested, and the public still have brokers or they are online brokers and they all want to have a piece of what they read about or hear about because their friend just made something on the last IPO and that creates a groundswell of demand for IPOs and we we saw it uh, here last the other day with Levi's and I guess we're going to see it very soon with Lyft uh, and uh, they're not focusing as much on the uh, metrics and you know what the revenues are and the losses are I mean uh, it, it's pretty significant and that includes uber which you know is losing like a 800 million a quarter and having revenues of a couple hundred a couple billion uh, so I think the answer to your question is buying in the public offering is a leap of faith in the ability to continue this momentum that they've shown as private companies but they're getting big and it's hard to have those same kind of percentage growth rates when you get the bigger you get the growth rate has got to slow down at some point you can't grow 50 or 100 percent a year when you get to be the size of some of these companies so then the next issue is going to be how will they will they meet their stated uh forward-looking statements about their first or second quarter or third quarter after they're public. Because if there is a shortfall, if there is a disappointment, uh, I've seen it and I think you may have seen it too. You, you get the living, the night of the living dead. I mean, companies go public and then people lose interest and they uh, sell them in the aftermarket because they get discouraged. Uh, so I think it's very important that if companies going public today or considering it, uh, that they really have a good vision of, if I were doing it, I would make sure I have a pretty good insight of what's going to happen in the next 60, 90, 180 days so that I'm not going to disappoint my new constituency who is really, relatively fickle. Right. I want to switch over and ask you about politics, Alan. You've been a Democratic donor uh, leader in the party for many years. Um, maybe we'll start off with the Mueller report. Um, which is timely, of course. No collusion, not exonerated the president. What is the Democrats' road forward from here? Well, I think we're seeing it evolve. I mean, there is a lot of investigation still going on in the Congress uh, that should have taken place a couple of years ago. And I think that while there's no collusion, I, and I personally, frankly, never thought there was collusion, but what is contained in this report about things that were done to prevent people from testifying or coaching them in testifying or preventing things from happening, we don't really know. Only, uh, only uh, our uh, attorney general knows at this point. Uh, and I think until that is fully disseminated, and the president said he wants it disseminated, so I'll take him at, his, at face value, he wants it as much as we do, I think the first step is to make Congress or committees of Congress right. aware. And then I think the general public has to see it. And 
you know, no one wants uh, a, the president of the United States to fail. Uh, that, that that doesn't help any of us. But on the other hand, uh, we want to make sure we have leadership that is not uh, uh, duplicitous or not doing things that are not fully disclosed. And uh, what's happened in the last couple of years have made a lot of create a lot of suspicion about how our government is being run at the moment. So what are the talking points, though, for the Democrats and the Democratic Party? Uh, straighten out health care once and for all. Uh, for all. Uh, deal with the subject of education for all. Uh, deal with income inequality. It's absolutely critical. We just can't have people buying $200 million co-ops and other people not being able to pay their rent. Does we've that mean to, more taxes? We've got to, I don't know what the answer is, but we've got to figure out how to make our system fair. And I think, lastly, I would say dealing with the infrastructure of the country. Uh, we're going to have congestion pricing in New York to try to deal with our, solve our, our uh, subway system, uh, use the proceeds for the subway system. We need to, you know, I'm old enough to remember uh, Eisenhower's highway program, which changed the whole nature of the country. All the interstates came about as a result of that major infrastructure program. I think we need uh, desperately an infrastructure, which will put tens of thousands, if not millions, back to work. And uh, so if you take those three or four things that I mentioned, if we can be, if the Democrats can be clear about that and come up with a program that's uh, believable and, 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 and that can be implemented, uh, I think we should be a shoe in frankly. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, it's not so easy to get those messages across. Well, then you need a candidate. And so, of course, that begs the question, which candidate do you think has the most mojo, is the best candidate, has the best chance of winning? I think most Democrats would say they don't care who is the candidate. They just want a candidate who can beat Donald Trump. That's, that's you hear that mantra incessantly. Uh, but I think that, that from my standpoint at this stage, I'm watching, I'm listening, I'm meet and greet, uh, meeting candidates and, uh, you know, I think there's time to attach your uh, horse to whatever wagon or hatch my wagon to a horse. Uh, I think we still have uh, time, but I, it, it's running out. We're going to have our debate starting in a few months. So uh, we're going to start seeing people, how they perform. Uh, the, the jockeying is already starting, you know, in, in terms of positioning. So Have you met with a bunch of candidates? And I've met with at least five or six of them so far. I'm sure it's too many. I don't think I can meet with all of them. But I think that's the process that's going on right now. Less, less people raising money and more people doing meet and greet and trying to meet the people who have been active in previous campaigns. There's talk of Joe Biden announcing and sort of creating a pre-form ticket with Stacey Abrams. Do you think that would be a good idea? Uh, I honestly don't have an opinion. I don't, I, I'm impressed by Stacey Abrams, what she said. Uh, uh, I think Joe Biden is a very viable candidate. Uh, and I think he's, you know, clearly the front runner at this point. But I think people are going to wait till he announces and see what he does in terms of, I think that in a way, Talking about Stacey Abrams, my guess is to kind of answer the issue of is he too old or, uh, you know, does he have the energy in him or what does he plan for his succession? Uh, uh, I think, I hope I'm uh, good evidence of people that, you know, are 
uh, over the age of 60 who can perform uh, and have enough vitality to get up every day and do their job uh, effectively. I think Joe is certainly, I would include Joe in that group from everything I've seen. What do you think, Alan, about this idea um, or this reality really that the Democratic Party is at least somewhat split between a centrist wing and a left wing? Um, is that a problem? And do you need one or the other necessarily? I, I think it's uh, it's a shame that there's been a bifurcation. I mean, I found myself the other day in an interview saying, I'm not a socialist, I'm a capitalist. I mean, I have to say I'm a capitalist, but uh, I think- You seem like a capitalist uh, yeah, to me. We're all getting put into boxes. Yeah, I think that that's not a helpful situation because it's kind of polarizing different segments. I think that uh, what we want is to focus on someone who's uh, solidly entrenched on solving some of the problems that we have that are that are pretty serious. The ones I just talked about are, are not casual uh, comments, and and uh, we got to see someone who's got a program to, programs that address these issues. I mean, what do you make about uh, proposals from Elizabeth Warren and Alexandria Ocasio Cortez to increase taxes on the wealthy and and AOC sort of demonization of wealthy people. I, I think you don't need that. I mean, I uh, came out a year and a half ago with an op-ed uh, saying that carried interest was ordinary income, which I still believe very strongly. And I think most thoughtful people, even though they don't like it, and even though it hurts my pocketbook, but there are a lot of people who have a conscience uh, who are concerned and would say that. I think that uh, we need a tax system that's fair, that doesn't disincentivize people and uh, I think we should be open to whatever it takes to deal with some of these issues that you got to, we have to have revenues to deal with them and uh, I think the last tax program except for the fact that they reduced the elimination of New York City New York people to subtract their uh, uh, home home interest costs and uh, and uh, taxes and reduce tax and the tax reduced the using the deduction ta deduction of taxes yeah. on your federal tax. Uh, uh, but I think we have come up with some imaginative approaches and I hope some of these candidates have some good ideas. And ta just taxing the rich to give to the poor, you know, a, a Robin Hood mentality may not be exactly the right way to do it. I think that we got to deal with the subject, but I don't know if the ways that have been thrown out uh, are, are the appropriate ones. Right. Given that the economy is doing pretty darn well, um, how do the Democrats run against that? And I mean, isn't Trump going to sort of beat that drum, that look at what I've done? And do, is he responsible for well, the Well, I think well? we all know that the trend, I mean, Obama inherited a disaster and it's only, it only went up, 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 perhaps not as fast, but boy, there was an awful big battleship you had to turn around. And he and the president, our current president, rode the last wave of that, uh, uh, of that uh, improvement uh, from the uh, terrible times of 2008. Uh, I think he's unwinding a lot of the issues, regulations that were put in place in 2008 that brought us out of the hole we were in. Uh, and I certainly hope 
he uh, has thought clearly about the implications of changing those regulations for the banking industry and the financial industry. But uh, I think that uh, where the economy was 3% last year, I'm not so sure it's going to be 3% this year, which is why you hear the comments out of the Federal Reserve. We're now talking about 25 or 2.3. The impact of the tax cuts uh, have already been felt, and we're going to start seeing qu quarter to quarter matches without that benefit. Uh, so uh, I wouldn't, you know, Right. Our labor, our employment increased only 20,000 last month. I don't know what, we'll see what the next figures produce. So uh, I don't think there's a wave, going to be a wave of euphoria. Uh, the president's been very fortunate. The stock market was way up. Taxes were, you know, reduced for a lot of people. There was a lot of excitement, a lot more money in people's hands. Uh, I don't think we have the same factors operating right now in 2019 and going to 2020. So mm. it may be, I don't know. It may Do you see a recession no, this year? I, I, nothing in our business would indicate a recession based on the demand for new capital, the expansion. Remember, we're dealing with all young, exciting, early stage companies that are growing at very fast rates and uh, can employ, employ or deploy ca capital very effectively. You've got a uh, venture industry, which has a lot of funds around with a lot of capital to support these companies. So I think that uh, in my area, I think we're going to continue to see robust, robust times. Now the IPO world has come into the picture, which hasn't been here for the last 10 or 15 years. Uh, so that's going to help uh, people investing to feel better. But I, I think we need another couple of quarters to see uh, if this economy, how much staying power this company? I mean, the economy's been going up for a long time now. Finally, Alan, um, this show's called Influencers, and I want to ask you how you see yourself using your influence in the world. Wow, I hadn't thought about that one. I haven't thought about that before. Uh -huh. uh, well, I think that uh, I'm interested in, I have been interested in the whole social impact uh, element that's come to the fore, how to help people around the world. I've been very active in the developing world. I would like to use that influence. I'd like to use my influence in encouraging young people into, into forming businesses and building young businesses. And uh, I hope from a political standpoint that I can, whoever is our candidate, Democratic candidate, that I can perhaps have some influence in the areas I talked about. And as I said, I said to you even before we started this meeting, this interview, this conversation, yeah. I am concerned about the impact, of the, the, the element of Google, Facebook, Amazon, and the uh, potential uh, monopolistic positions they have taken on, not because they set out to, to do it. I mean, in the 1900s, the robber barons started out to be uh, monopolies to control things. I don't think that's the nature. They just have grown because their businesses have grown. Just like a lot of uh, private equity firms and venture firms grow, have grown because there's so much money out there. I think th these companies are, are feeding on themselves and growing and getting bigger and bigger and they've got to find places to deploy their profits so they go into more businesses, they have more data available and I think it's a concern that uh, others have expressed besides me.
All right, we look forward to your thinking on those subjects and many more ideas as well. Alan Patrickoff, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, thank you for inviting me. I'm Andy Serwer, you've been watching Influencers. We'll see you next time.